Welcome to Feed Matters, Feed Navigator's podcast series. I'm Jane Byrne. The conflict in the Black Sea region continues, and the global agricultural sector is braced for a huge shake-up. To get some perspective on what the fallout could mean for agribusiness and agriculture, we talk to Ryan Bernstein. He's a senior policy advisor with Maguire Woods Consulting. Ryan has long been active in agricultural issues on Capitol Hill. He was a former chief of staff for US Senator John Hoven, where he played a key role in drafting numerous farm bills. He also operates a family farm in South Dakota, so he keenly understands the challenges facing agribusiness operators. We first asked him if there was potential for the most recent peace talks to end the conflict in Ukraine. Yeah, well, um, you know, we can always hope that this comes to resolution, um, you know, fairly soon. You know, the um, President Zelensky is now speaking to Congress, actually, this morning here oh, in the United right. States, uh, laying out what, uh, you know, he believes he needs to help draw this uh, conflict to a conclusion, this war. Um, and, you know, I'm sure he will be warmly received this morning by members of Congress. Um, you know, but we'll see exactly what kind of support he's able to get after this uh, call. But I am sure that, uh, you know, coming out of this, we'll hear a lot of positive uh, reactions to his comments and a lot of support. But uh, yes, let's hope that um, between that and and what the world is doing here to rally behind Ukraine, that, it, you know, it, that this war is uh, is stopped as soon as possible. Indeed, but I mean, obviously we've seen massive dis- disruption um, in terms of crop production globally. Um, what has been the kind of knock-on effect in the U.S.? Obviously, there's going to be increased demand um, from from China and the EU going forward. Um, but what's happening on the ground right now in terms of um, grain producers and um, livestock producers in the U.S.? Yeah, we, uh, we're already seeing the impacts and we'll see the impacts likely throughout this growing season what, uh, based on what already has happened in Ukraine and, and the region um, there. I, you know, crop prices, commodity prices has really basically skyrocketed in the last month or two. They were already fairly high um, in the United States. Um, coming into to the spring, but with with the invasion, you know, wheat prices in particular have really taken off. Um, there's been some volatility lately with some pullback, but again, um, you know, prices generally have been very high now for the last uh, couple of months, largely based on on the invasion of this latest run up. Um, so that overall, we'll say, is you know good um, for the American farmer and rancher, but that doesn't mean that all is good within you know U.S. agriculture because that's only half the story. We've seen a major run-up in the input costs um, uh, that were already going up because, as we talked a little bit earlier, because we're coming off of. Um, you know, COVID-19, uh, we're, we're already having supply chain problems in the United States and around the world. So energy prices were going up, uh, supply chain was driving up input costs already. But now with the invasion, um, of course, gas prices, fuel prices have greatly increased in just one year. The price for diesel for farms have gone up 95%. Uh, fertilizer um, has gone up more than double. Um, some products 
like anhydrous ammonia, which is widely used for wheat and other commodities, has gone up over 200% in, in just a year. So despite the fact that high you know, com- wheat and, and corn and other commodity prices have gone up, the inputs for those commodities have really skyrocketed, which in a lot of cases offset or more than offset anything that the farmers would make by selling their commodities at a higher price. And that's not even talking in taking into account the, the price of, of, of land, um, which has really gone up too um, in the last several years. Whether or not you buy land or rent land, all of those input costs have gone up significantly, largely due to inflation and, and frankly, a hot real estate market that expands from you know, rural America through um, you know, regular housing. So all of that has really taken a toll on farmers. So it, it's not all good news here at all for the American agriculturalists. And what impact will such developments have on planting intentions in the U.S. Rhine? Which crop would likely benefit the most, soybeans or corn? Yeah, you know, farmers are making their decisions right now about how they're going to approach the spring season. Um, a lot of the wheat in the United States um, has been planted. About 60% of the wheat in the U.S. is winter wheat. So it was planted. Those decisions were made last fall. Um, you know, now kind of in the Midwest, upper Midwest, are looking at whether or not, like you say, they're going to plant more wheat or corn um, or even maybe soybeans. And some people may have to make the decision based on what kind of inputs they have. You know, soybeans may require and require less fertilizer than corn and wheat. So if you're short and can't get fertilizer, you may have to uh, resort to a different crop like soybeans. So um, there are, farmers are now weighing all of those decisions um, in front of them um, to try to figure out which is the best way they can move forward. But we anticipate, and USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, is anticipating some more wheat acres being planted, uh, probably more corn too, but it's going to be, it, it's not going to be a major change um, because farmers really already kind of are somewhat locked into rotational uh, planting. Um, they've already largely got some of their inputs purchased, some of their seed purchased from last year. So it's not like you can completely change on a dime to um, greatly increase uh, production in any one commodity in this short of time frame. But how will they be able to cope with the, this uh, projected increased demand for uh, for exports, uh, Ryan? You know, there's going to be um, heightened demand for U.S. Um, corn and uh, soybeans, uh, judging by what analysts have been saying um, with uh, Black Sea origin uh, out of the loop. Yeah, it, you know, it's we're the consumer here in the United States is is not likely going to see shortage on their shelves because the United States produces um, so much of, of our own commodities, um, but we will likely see higher prices. Now, that's not necessarily going to be true for other areas of the world. You know, um, Russia, Ukraine, they supply so much of the wheat in that Middle East, North Africa area that, um, you know, U.S. will try to fill as um, some of those gaps. But again, um, doing so on a short-term basis is going to be um, fairly difficult um, because there's a lot of contracts that are already out there uh, with the U.S. supplying other areas in the world. 
um, you know, Japan, you know, even some contracts in China. So uh, those other parts of the world, um, the U.S. agriculture market will work to supply. But um, again, it's going to be very difficult for that to happen in a, in a, in a quick manner. And talking about Russia and Ukraine, um, what do you think of the U.S. agribusiness um, companies' uh, position there that, you know, they're continuing to supply uh, food and feed within Russia? I'm thinking particularly of Cargill. Um, you know, while scaling back the business to a certain extent, they, they're still operating within Russia. Do, can you understand their quandary that they have? Well, it, you know, the largely the the commodity market is is really intertwined internationally and it's hard to unwind that um quickly and yes there's going to be a lot of pressure on international corporations already seen it um running the gamut um between manufacturers and and commodity um companies to not do business in russia but um you know a lot of the exports um, come out of that Black Sea region um, that are really intertwined with not only, you know, the Middle East, North Africa, but South America, the, uh, North America, and EU. So uh, there's consequences, uh, of course, of, of halting all production or all business within that region of the world. Indeed. Um, and Going back to the U.S. now, how have uh, livestock producers been faring with with um, those you know higher commodity prices, though the higher feed costs um, over the last while? Yeah, they they they've been dealing with with it, uh, the high commodity prices for a couple of years now, and and we again have seen you know a little stronger market um, on the back end for a lot of those ranchers, but um, especially the feed grains are going to be very tough. Um, uh, on those ranches, and we've seen a lot of uh, sales and a lot of sell down on on livestock uh, because it is getting expensive to to keep you know those cattle and and other livestock housed um, in the last two years. And we've also in the United States kind of ex- experienced uh, a drought in many areas, or at least um, a lack of a lot of partic- uh, precipitation. Um, we've, we've, we've seen if people have not had to sell because of high commodity prices, the, the lack of rain in the Midwest and, and in the central part of the country has really been hard on the livestock industry. So you've been compounded by the lack of supply chain certainty where we saw in the United States during COVID really hit the, um, frankly, the poultry industry very hard, the pork industry very hard. Now commodity prices are hitting that same industry, and now also the weather is um, adding adding to those challenges. So we've really seen a very tough tough go at it for the livestock uh, market and, and especially poultry in the last two to three years. Mm. Uh, well, it's kind of a global phenomenon, isn't it? Uh, the, the challenges for um, uh, animal pr- protein producers—you um, know—they're struggling in, in a lot of markets. Um, do you think there's a genuine food security risk? Uh, perhaps talking more globally, Ryan, do you do you see markets uh, within Europe or the UK or elsewhere um, actually exposed to this kind of food security risk now? You know, generally the Western uh, countries, the, the countries, the, the richer countries are, are going to be paying more 
Um, you might have a few things that are short on, on, you know, the shelves, like what we've seen during COVID where you couldn't find certain cuts of meat or you couldn't find certain types of chicken, bone out chicken, things like that have been tight. There's a chance that you could still see that type of stuff moving forward um, in Europe and in the United States. But generally speaking, um, in, in the Western societies that have the money, they will be able to find alternatives. Um, they'll be able to pay and they'll be able to raise um, their commodities. But you're not, that's not going to be the situation in a lot of other parts of the world that are poor, like Ethiopia, like um, Egypt, like, um, you know, like Turkey. And we're starting to see some countries respond to that um, by frankly looking at uh, uh, holding back grain and, and, you know, what we're worried about is frankly hoarding um, some, some commodities because countries are getting very worried about their long-term ability to find, find, uh, find wheat, find food for their citizens. And uh, if countries start to hoard, um, you know, commodities at this point, it could also drive this whole food insecurity issue uh, to a faster head than, um, than even what we, can, what we see right now. Mm. Do you think that was behind uh, Argentina's uh, export restrictions in relation to uh, soybean meal and oil uh, that, that was announced over the weekend? Yes, yes. And, and we're seeing it like Hungary and other places are, are looking at this and, and Egypt. Um, and we're going to start worrying about, you know, even we talked earlier about some of the supply side. You know, it, it might not only be trying to hoard or keep um, and reduce exports of of commodities, but like fertilizer, um, if we, you know, see an extended period of, of shortage of fertilizer on the international market, you could see countries um, really trying to lock down, like you've seen already, of course, in Russia and Ukraine, not shipping out fertilizer, which will also drive that supply, supply chain crisis around the world. So you, you could see it both on the back end on the commodities and the front end on the supply chain with, the, with fertilizer and, and other inputs. Yeah, and of course the sanctions against Belarus as well, um, it being a big supplier of potash, um, that could uh, um, further escalate fertilizer prices. Exactly, and and so you got you know everything from a from COVID to war to even here in the United States, we're watching very closely um, a possible uh, rail strike up in Canada with Canada uh, with Canadian Pacific Railroad, and Canada uh, for us produces in in. Uh, exports to the United States quite a bit of potash. So if we see a strike in, in a rail line, that could also very much affect the input costs and fertilizers. So now you're looking at not only COVID, a war, but a labor dispute. Um, so really the hits keep coming here for agriculture and, and they keep popping up. And these things all don't have a very easy political or any political solution um, that that policymakers can just flip a switch on and fix. And thinking of all those climate pledges made at COP26 in November last year, do you think there's going to be a pushback on such commitments, given the challenges you outlined there? Well, you're going to see two very different narratives on this, and, and it is going to be 
one narrative is like, look, you know, now's the time to make sure we just produce as much as we can produce um, for the sake of food security. And, and let's, you know, kind of, if you will, take a pause on, on some of the, the, the more green initiatives. But on the flip side, you're going to hear more about this is why exactly we need um, sustainable agriculture, um, agriculture that, you know, relies less on, on fertilizer, international fertilizer, um, and, and produce things more on a local level. So it's not really that different than a lot of the discussion that's going on on even some of the inputs. Um, you know, do we want to continue to rely on oil and natural gas for our fertilizer and import, imports? Or do we want to accelerate the green uh, initiatives on that side? So we're really going to see both of those um, discussions happening now. But I think in the very short term, to your point, you're going to see a lot of like, well, we got to make sure the food is produced and is on the table and the shelves for people, which could definitely um, hold off a lot of the, um, you know, the green pledges that uh, countries and, and others have made uh in that in that realm